Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, everybody. It's been a little while. Um, It's been almost a month since I put one of these out. As I record this, it is the morning of New Year's Eve 2021. Um, Whenever you happen to listen to this, this is when I'm recording it. And we've just gotten through a very busy, busy, busy holiday season for me. Um, I celebrate both Yule and Christmas. I don't identify as a Christian, but um, Christmas is has become a holiday open to everyone. Um, and I, and I like that. I like aspects of it. I love some of the messages of Christmas, not the rampant consumerism, but I do love gift giving and, um, I like eating. I love eating a lot. Um, maybe I'll do a, maybe I'll do a whole episode on the spiritual nature of food and feasting and, uh, making food offerings and that sort of thing sometime in the future. So, um, anyway, (laughs) I also celebrate Yule, uh, you know, and Hanukkah was earlier than that. And Diwali was earlier than that. I don't celebrate all of those, but I recognize that we have been through a busy holiday season and in most areas of the world, um, COVID is surging. Uh, we've got this Omicron variant and, Um, It's a very serious thing, and um, a lot of people are winding up in the hospital, and our hospitals are getting overwhelmed, and now they're canceling, a lot of them are canceling non-emergency services because they're, or non-emergency, yeah, non-emergency services like surgeries and things like that because they're just completely overwhelmed, and healthcare workers are... um, you know, health healthcare workers are overwhelmed and tired, and honestly, I feel for them what they've had to put up with for years now. Gosh. So I'm hoping to, in the new year, bring a, me- a little bit of a message of hope, but something that's a little, I hope it's a little bit unusual for this podcast is I've got a little bit of a bone to pick. I've got a little bit of a complaint, and I don't love complaining. Complaining is not the most fun thing I do, and I don't love it. Um, But I have a little bit of a complaint. But the caveat is that I will also potentially offer a solution. So, you know, in my my 20 years of working in the technology field, I would, um, you know, always try to, if a problem came up and I had to go to, a manager or something. Um, whenever possible, I would always try to come with a proposed solution and sort of say, okay, you know, XYZ is a problem and this is how I think we could fix it. Um, or I would come with a problem and ask for help. Like XYZ is a problem. I don't know how to fix it. Do you know who I can go to for some more help? Because then I'm not just a complainer. I become part of the solution. And so I'm going to challenge everybody listening to this podcast, and I hope that you will challenge people who don't listen to this podcast to be part of the solution to whatever is going on in the world. And that includes COVID. That includes paying attention. Um, I know people have strong feelings for or against, but um, I would encourage people to get vaccinated fully vaccinated and boosted. I am fully vaccinated and boosted. Even though I do firmly believe in spiritual healing and I believe in taking care of your body and um, all of those things, uh, I do think that I do think that the vaccine, uh, the vaccines are safe. I believe they're, you know, fully tested and approved. I think every anti-vax argument I have seen is not uh, has not borne truth, and I realize people are really strongly attached to their opinion. And I may be talking to people who are not going to shift to their opinion at all about this, 
Um, but if you look with a critical eye, and I'm, I'm, you know, while I'm a spiritual person, I'm also very scientifically minded. And anecdotal evidence is not good evidence. <laughs> it's not evidence of anything. Um, you know, my my grandmother smoked her whole life and lived to be ninety. Does not mean that smoking is good for you, or that it doesn't kill at least a third of the people who do it, because it does, and that's the reality of it. And there is survivorship bias. Um, early on in the pandemic, I had a very mild case of what I think was COVID because I lost my sense of taste and smell. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't bad. I had, it was like a cold for several weeks and I isolated and I couldn't get tested at that time because I didn't have any comorbidities and there weren't, um, they weren't testing people who weren't, um, older. There were no at home tests back then. Um, the tests that they had were the ones where they had to like, ram the q-tip all the way back and practically touch your brain with it so i wasn't looking forward to getting that so unless i was incredibly sick so i didn't get tested but i think i had it um very early on and and it was extremely mild and i know people who have contracted covid since and have have had extremely mild symptoms although i do know people whose uh sense of taste and smell have not recovered months later. Um, and for me, that would be a bad thing to lose. Uh, I have a very keen sense of smell. And as I spoke to earlier, I love taste. So anyway, there is this survivorship bias where I go, I went through that. I'm fine. You know, it's not, it's no big deal. Um, you know, it's that whole thing where like, ah, we didn't wear seat belts when I was a kid and, and I turned out fine. Yeah, but that ignores the, you know, 800,000 people in the U.S., closing on a million people in the U.S. who have died of COVID. Closing on a million people. So any inkling that you have that this thing is not uh, serious. And the other, the other aspect is, you know, am I worried that if I got COVID that I would get, you know, extremely sick, wind up in the hospital or die? Probably not. I'm a fairly healthy person. Um, you know, I'm getting up there in age, but I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not over 60. And, um, you know, so the risk factors for me are, are very low. But there is a lot of thinking these days that are like, well, I don't have anything to worry about. So why do I got to do this? Um, you know, the main reason I got fully vaccinated and got boosted um, besides the fact that I don't want to have to quarantine if I, um, you know, by getting sick or, you know, God forbid I do get seriously ill and want and take up a hospital bed somewhere. But I believe it's my civic duty. I believe that I'm a stopgap and that being vaccinated and boosted um, makes it much mess, less likely that I contract and pass the disease on to others. And I'm still taking precautions. I, I do still wear a mask and I realize people have strong feelings about that too. Um, but when I go out in public and I'm in an enclosed space with people, I still wear a mask. I still um, socially distance from people because those things I believe are still uh, relevant and important. And, you know, uh, anyway, that's all I want to talk about that. That's my PSA for that. So anyway, I would encourage you to, if you're, you know, I, I can't imagine there are too many people on the fence these days. If you are at all on the fence, um, you know, just, just get, get better information, get good information, not people jawing on social media or silly blogs or crazy YouTube channels or politicians don't listen to any of those people please um listen to the people who work in epidemiology you know there's this other thing that's going around that is surprising and shocking to me that um i think that you know people think their quote unquote common sense whatever that means outdoes expertise of people who have spent decades studying in a specific field. And I got news for you, it doesn't. Um, it does not. It never does. Um, you know, um, I realize there's this thing where people are bumping up against 
these experts who are changing their recommendations pretty frequently, and that's frustrating. But uh, that's what science does, and that doesn't make science wrong. Science is, is the scientific method. Science is a method. It's not a, you know, we speak of science as if it's a, a thing, um, but it's a method of trying to figure out what is more effective, what is more uh, truthful statement. And, um, you know, science is supposed to be self-correcting, right? Meaning when we get new information, we change our mind about something. You know, as better information gets in, and I realize it's really difficult. It's difficult for me as a layperson to keep up with the shifting recommendations. Um, And very recently, my kids and I were exposed to somebody who turned out to be diagnosed with COVID later. He was not symptomatic at the time that we were exposed to him. And uh, I didn't know what to do. And I read the CDC guidelines and they were confusing. And what I did was I wound up calling um, the, you know, my kid's doctor's office. And they had... um, they had recommendations based on my kid's vaccination status and um, the time of exposure and all of those things. And so if you have questions, rely on the people who know more about things than you do. That's another thing that I like is uh, relying on experts. Anyway, I've been talking a very long time about COVID, and that is not the main topic of this. I really I really want this uh, pandemic to be over And the only way we're going to get there is if people start taking uh, responsibility, not just for themselves, but for their neighbors. It's not um, me first, it's we first. That's my PSA for today. Um, So the thing I want to talk about, and um, I I realize I'm starting uh, starting with all kinds of negativity, but I'm going to give some suggestions because, again, I don't like to present a problem without some kind of solution, particularly on this podcast um, where I have time to think about a little bit what I'm going to talk about. These are very impromptu. I don't script them. I don't, I don't edit them. So you're getting the pure unfiltered me when I take a sip of coffee, as I will do right now. You'll hear that. Or if I cough or sneeze or, God forbid, pass gas, uh, you might hear that. I try not to be that rude or whatever, but... Um, I want you to have sort of unfiltered, unfiltered me, not because that is more valuable than filtered me or whatever, but I feel like this is a way that I connect with people and that I'm not being fake. I'm not pretending I'm not putting on my best face. Now in other public appearances, I might do that, you know, um, I, you know, I, I do radio spots once a week here in Maine, and, um, you know, they edit them. They put them through filters, and I've only heard myself one time, and on the radio, I was like, wow, that's me. I sound pretty good. It's because they do a whole lot of editing and um, cut out my ums and errs and cut out things I say that might not make sense and that, that kind of thing. Well, I don't do that here, and I realize, you know, Different people are going to have different tastes. Different people are going to like my voice or hate my voice, and that's totally fine. And you may like what I have to say or hate what I have to say, and that's totally fine too. Everybody is entitled to their opinion, which is going to start me off on something. Um, and and yeah, people are entitled to their opinions, but there, there's something, the thing, that, the thing that kind of set me off, and this is a thing I have a complaint about, was very recently on social media and Social media is a bit of a jungle, right? Sometimes you can get good things from social media. You can find out about wonderful podcasts or what have you. And sometimes it is a garbage pit or a cesspit of um, infighting and insults and political junk and all kinds of stuff. But uh, you take the good with the bad, I guess. So very recently on social media... Um, A person, and I won't name this person or really indicate who they are because it's not my intention to attack anybody personally. Um, What I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge an idea. And yes, he's entitled to his opinion. And as am I, I'm entitled to my opinion about his opinion. 
and I'm about and I'm entitled to my opinion about how he expresses his opinion as well. So there's something that uh, is sort of rife in the spiritual community, um, and it doesn't matter what part of the spiritual community it is, but it's this form of spiritual egotism. Um, and it is the farthest thing from being spiritual I can imagine. It is, uh, in my opinion, destructive. It puts people in boxes. It separates us more than unites us. It makes us feel disconnected. It makes us feel less than. So the thing, the opinion that was shared on social media recently was a somebody shared an article um, where. A, an Eastern traditional shaman was speaking about the challenges they went through and they didn't want to be a shaman and X, Y, Z. And that is a very common story in shamanic cultures. Um, shamanic crisis is a real thing. Many people go through, um, you know, in, in indigenous cultures, they have to go through a very serious, maybe life-threatening crisis and spirit chooses them, and that happens uh, happens in the West too. But we don't tend to live in shamanic cultures unless you live in an indigenous culture in the West. So this person, who is a teacher of shamanism, said, "Hey, look at this! All these Westerners, and this person is a Westerner who teaches shamanism. They're all crazy. Already starting with a pejorative, calling people crazy." I don't like that. I'm sorry. I don't like the way you're expressing your opinion. Um, Putting people down. And putting people below you. I'm better than you because you're crazy. You're crazy because you don't know what... Everybody's running to become a shaman and nobody knows what it means to be a shaman and blah, 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 blah. You can tell how I feel about this person's opinion. Again, he's entitled to it, but I don't like it and I don't like the way he expressed it. I don't like it, it. It is not. It is not a very. Uh, I'm trying not to be judgmental, but I'm going to come across as very judgmental. So it's just going to happen. I'm just going to accept it. I'm going to accept that my judgment is coming up, and that is egoic on my part. I get it, but uh, you know, I don't like this putting other people down. This separating people out. You can't be a shaman because you don't meet these five random criteria that I have decided are the most important. And if you interviewed people, if you went to a hundred different shamanic cultures, traditional indigenous shamanic cultures, and said, "What, what is required to become a shaman in your culture? you would get 100 different, completely different answers. There would be some similarities. There would be completely different answers. So, yeah, could I go out and cherry-pick one person's opinion and decide I can use that to put down and insult other people from my own culture who are trying to do the same things that I'm doing? I could do that. Um, I don't think that's a very positive way of acting. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think it's beneficial. I don't think it is doing anything other than, I am superior to you because you want to be a shaman and you, and I know what it takes and you don't. Again, it's about separation. And in my shamanic practice, I learned that we are all connected so when I see this opinion come out, it hurts because I feel deeply connected to people who are in the shamanic community. And uh, when, we'll put it this way, when I have misspoken, um, I put out something recently on my blog about uh, shamanism uh, and I and I misstated something. I, I stated something that gave the wrong impression. It was not uh, intentional, and it wasn't technically a lie. It was just um, I said something in a way that I shouldn't have said it. And my teacher read it and contacted me immediately and said, um, 
you know, love your blog. Uh, I noticed that this, you said this, and that's not exactly true. And, you know, you might want to change that. And I did because she was right. And I had not intended it to come across the way that it did, but I'm a human being and I made a mistake and I fixed it. So I want people to fix stuff. And there's a thing that's going on in the spiritual community, this spiritual egotism. That's one aspect of it where you're crazy because you want to be a shaman. How about we educate people? And by educating people, if you start off by calling them crazy, um, you know, I have... I have decades of experience educating adults. I don't have experience ed- educating children, but I have taught adults for decades, martial arts and shamanism and technology, and I wrote a technology textbook. And um, when you start off by insulting your audience to make yourself seem better, um you lose your audience. They shut down. You cannot educate them. So when you say, you know, all you Westerners who want to be shamans are crazy, um, you're not trying to educate people. You're trying to insult people or you're trying to get people, people on, you know, who, who respect, you know, holds hold you in some esteem to go. Oh, oh, I I didn't realize that all these other people they're crazy, but I'm following you, so I'm an insider, and those are crazy people. I'm sane because I follow I follow you. I don't like that. Um, and the other thing, so there's kind of two complaints here, and then I promise I'm going to get to my proposed solution something I would like to see. The other thing that um, that I see happening a whole lot are uh, gatekeepers. Um, gatekeepers of culture. And, uh, you know, I've run into this, and um, I was teaching a workshop in shamanism, uh, couple years back maybe three years ago um time's sort of weird now that um we're we've been in covid for so long um so it was probably three years ago i was teaching an introductory workshop in shamanism and there was a, a flyer and some posts online about it and in there was a picture of a hoop drum that i use for shamanic journeying and a gentleman and i and i i now know this guy and i I respect his intention, but I think he went about this the wrong way, contacted me out of the blue and said, are you some kind of scam artist? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. He is, and he, you know, going back and forth, he thought I was pretending to teach Native American spirituality, and I do not, and I make it very clear that that is not something I have expertise in, it's not something I teach, and it's not something that I represent that I teach. So... Because this person has certain biases, he feels like shamanism is a Native American practice. I will say that many Native American tribes have uh, people who are shamanic. So there are many shamanic cultures, but shamanic cultures exist all over the world. And he said, you have no right to use that drum. It's not yours. It's not from your culture. Um. BS. (laughs) BS. <laughs> but it's just ignorance. It's just that he didn't know um, because he has only seen hoop drums in context of uh, Native Americans using them. And um, despite the fact that I actually made my hoop drum in a uh, drum birthing ceremony with a Native American teacher, um, I do come from cultures where the hoop drum is common, and that is almost every culture. Many, 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 many cultures use hoop drums. They are prehistoric instruments. There are no, there are probably no existing cultures that invented the hoop drum, right? So, you know, this has been passed along 
human culture to human culture. And, um, you know, my ancestors in, uh, you know, my Celtic ancestors used hoop drums. Still do, as a matter of fact. You see a baron, which is a traditional um, Irish instrument, that is a hoop drum. Um, my Scandinavian ancestors used hoop drums. Um, Scandinavian shamans, Sami shamans, and Scandinavian shamans still do use hoop drums. Um, hoop drums are everywhere. <laughs> um, we see them in uh, many different continents. We see them amongst many different cultures. They are, again, prehistoric things. It's like saying, um, because I've only watched Westerns, Western movies, that I believe that Native American culture was the only culture to use a bow and arrow. Um, and that is far from true, right? We know that bow and arrow was in common use in cultures everywhere. You know, uh, Welsh longbowmen were feared in the Middle Ages. And, um, you know, bows, bows and arrows commonly used in Asia and... So again, it's an ancient, you know, it's an ancient tool that's adapted for different cultures. But, um, so my my issue with kind of both of these things is that, um, and I'll talk. I'm going to talk about cultural appropriation and when it's actually a problem. And there's a great article I read recently about cultural appropriation, and I will I will. I'll talk about that in a, in a moment. Um, so my main problem with both of these things is that they're saying, um, because of the circumstances of your birth or history or upbringing or whatever, you are not eligible to have spiritual healing or spiritual wholeness or to follow the spiritual path that you are interested in. And we're living in a world that is so difficult and so challenging. Kind of, you know, my feeling is a little, I'm a little indignant. I'm a little, how dare you? How dare you tell people they can't seek out spiritual wholeness? Now, people might be doing it in a way that is not helpful or harmful or what whatever. But if you just call people crazy and offer no solution, or if you just say, you can't do that because you're a fraud and you're stealing, you're not offering a solution. You're not offering any kind of solution. That's not helpful to anyone. Um. And cultural appropriation has become a really sticky term. And somebody told me, oh, you can't use the word shaman because that's not your word. What do you mean that's not my word? Shaman is an English word. Yes, it came into English from other another language in the 17th century. But how many of our words come from French, in English, come from French or Spanish or Latin or Greek? Most of the, you know, a good portion of the English language is not old, does not directly descend from Old English. And the word shaman shows up, it's a proto-Indo-Europe, it comes from a proto-Indo-European root word, and it shows up in Sanskrit, in Chinese, in Pali, it shows up in Akkadian, Um, it shows up in certain form in Hebrew. So let's get off the kick that the um, the Tungsic people, and I'm not taking anything away from them of Siberia. Um, these, you know, that they invented the word shaman out of whole cloth; that it didn't exist before they started using the word. It's not true. And when people challenge me, uh, you know, I, I try to educate them. I don't, I don't try to get into an argument with them, even though it sounds like I'm being argumentative now. Um, I challenge them and present them with hopefully better information. 
will that change some people's minds? No, you know, you know, it's very clear that there are a large group of people in the world who are not affected by facts, are not affected by newer, better information. Once I have dug in, my opinion is my opinion. You people are crazy. You can't do this because you're crazy, and I have deemed that you're crazy, and indigenous people think you're crazy. Really, you speak on behalf of all indigenous people. Um, the other phenomenon I see quite a bit is uh, these gatekeepers who are like, you can't do X because it is a closed practice. Um, this one is a little challenging too, and I'll give you an example. Somebody very recently said, um, you shouldn't smudge or use the word smudge because that is a Native American practice and it's a closed practice. Let me tell you how many problems I have with that statement. And again, it's, you know, um, when when I hear stuff like that, I respond to it hopefully from a factual perspective and say, well, that's not exactly true. First of all, the word smudge is not a Native American word. Um, you know, so to say that the word comes from Native American culture as if Native American culture is a single culture, and as if there is a single language, none of those things are true. And even if the word uh, smudge came from, you know, the Wabanaki or something, um, it would not belong to every Native American culture. Um, but let's look at the act of smudging, the act of using, you know, burning herbs to purify or for spiritual purposes or for healing. I cannot think of a culture that doesn't do that. The Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians did that. There are recipes. I've made, um, I've made kaifi, which is uh, incense made from resins and herbs. I've, I've made that, and that was on the, um, written out on you know, the walls of King Tut's tomb. So, um, you know, and in uh, Scottish culture, there's a practice, I think it's called saining, and they use rosemary to, to smudge. They burn it and use it to, for spiritual purification and healing. Um, so, the, you know, so the problem number one is to say X practice belongs to X culture um, is very frequently untrue. Um, there are, you know, there are exceptions to that. I've read things were saying, oh, you know, white people shouldn't practice voodoo because that comes from Haiti and it's only, you know, people who are of Haitian descent or, you know, whatever. Um, but there are practitioners out there from Haiti who will teach Caucasian people people from other cultures and don't have a problem with sharing their religion, their spirituality with other people. Um, so are they, are they wrong? Who, who gets to be right here? So here's the other problem. And this is something that I, I read um, from somebody who is actually native American who's talking about this. Like somebody asked them, is it okay to smudge? And they said, why are you asking me? Because there is no one person, like you could ask, <clears throat> you could go to um, 10 uh, Native American people, 10 different tribes maybe, or even 10 people within the same tribe, and say, is it okay to smudge? And you might get 10 different answers, or you might get two or three different answers. Because nobody owns culture. Nobody owns um you know, cultural practice. And this was the thing that was expressed. She was like, well, whether I have a problem with it or not, it's not mine to give or take. Now, there's a couple, this is where cultural appropriation becomes a, an actual problem, right? Problem number one is when it becomes exploitive, right? And so, um, for example, 
I do not, uh, I do smudge. I frequently, I will use rosemary very frequently. I, I like the smell a whole lot. I don't use white sage. And the reason for that is not because um, only people born in a certain area to certain parents are allowed to use white sage. Um, but I only use white sage to be, I don't use white sage, sorry, um, because it is a traditional, in many Native American tribes, it is a traditional smudging herb, and it has been over-harvested by people selling it in spiritual shops. And because smudging has become so popular, you know, people are, are, are encroaching on traditional Native um, harvesting grounds, and that's exploitive, right? That's exploitive. Um, if I were to teach shamanism, and let's say I put an Apache war bonnet on, falsely presenting myself as teaching something from that culture, and essentially taking away from that culture, that is both exploitive and disrespectful. So I would not do that. And this is where appropriation is actually problematic. Um, where appropriation is not problematic is saying, oh, you know, I really, I really respect... I really respect that part of your culture. I want to learn more about it. I want to experience it from somebody who is willing to share it. For example, I have taken part in a um, pipe ceremony with somebody who is a pipe carrier, and pipe carriers are selected, and I don't know the whole, the whole deal, um, but I was honored to take part in a pipe ceremony. Would I now go out and lead a pipe ceremony? I would not, because I have not been, um, that has not been passed on to me as a type of, te- a type of teaching. But there are um, tribes and elders and things like that who will, um, you know, pass these things on to non-Indigenous people, and who's to say that they're right or wrong or, or what have you. Um, so, Exploitation and disrespect are a couple of problematic areas of appropriation. And so there was a great article that I read uh, recently, and I uh, wish I could remember who wrote it. And um, um, but it was written by uh, you know it was written by a, a, you know an, an African American woman who had some fantastic points, and she was saying like there's. You know, there's all these cries of cultural appropriation, and there's a lot of backlash against it because there are some really silly things, like saying that um, you know white people can't make burritos because only people from Mexico can make burritos, or you know stuff like that. Um, which you know, I I don't know. I mean, that seems pretty silly to me. But um, she was talking about sort of financial exploitation specifically. And so one example she used, and I actually knew this, um, was Elvis Presley's famous song, Hound Dog, was actually sung first by an African-American woman who is singing um, singing about like kind of a, a dirty dog, a man. And um, her song, her rendition of song, in my personal opinion, far superior to Elvis Presley's rendition, and Elvis had to change up the words because obviously he's not singing about a philandering man. He made it actually about a dog, which seemed really, always seemed really weird to me. Even as a child, when I heard that song, I was like, um, why is he singing about a hound dog not catching a rabbit? And uh, it, it made no, it, made, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. So go out and look up the original and listen to that. Um, so there's a history of exploitation of of black musicians in the United States and probably in many other places. Um, the, you know, the, the, uh, I can think of many instances, but this is one where Elvis, you know, made millions and millions of dollars and the original artist made a pittance, maybe died in poverty. I don't know, but I do know this. Um, so, you know, that if you're familiar with the song, um, the, the jungle in the jungle, the might, the lion sleeps tonight, um, that actually um, comes from an African chant 
And the original recording is available. You can you can find it. It's scratchy. It's from like the, I don't know the twenties or the thirties. It's very old. The musician who uh, the you know the African musician who laid down that track um, sold the rights to it for something like a do- the equivalent of a dollar fifty today. And he wound up. Um, he did wind up dying in poverty, and. Um, Eventually, his estate, but it took decades, was awarded. Uh, you know, they ba- basically said he was cheated out of you know millions of dollars in residuals for this song over so many years. Um, but look it up. Go look. Go look at the original. So this is this is exploitation. So the other thing, the other thing is disrespect. So when. Um, when uh, we make fun of cultures or we use um, we use cultures as mascots, for example, um, that can be very hurtful. Um, when we adopt native regalia, for example, as a costume, um, you know, you're taking something that is sacred to people and turning it into, you know, a Halloween costume or, or something along those lines. And it's not... It's really uh, disrespectful in a way that is that is that can be harmful to people, can be hurtful. You know, it 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 puts people down. Um, so this is where you know this is where the problems of appro- appropriation actually come from. Things that are exploitive and disrespectful. If we were to go around and say um, you cannot ever use a word that doesn't belong to the culture that you were born into. You cannot cook cuisine that does not come from a culture that you belong to. I don't care who you are or where you're living, unless you are unless you are actually indigenous and living in a traditional culture that hasn't changed for several thousands of years. You're probably going to have to eliminate a lot of stuff from your life. Um... Culture borrows, culture appropriates. It always has and it always will, right? English language is, the reason it's so mixed up and a hodgepodge and spelling is so weird is because it borrows from so many other languages. And then look at how many other languages borrow from English, which in turn had borrowed from other places. So it must be fun to be a linguist and try to track down the etymology of different words. Um, sometimes I do. Sometimes I, um, I'm not a linguist, but um, I will research where words come from and the etymology of words. So somebody recently said, um, and this was another one on social media, they said, oh, you can't use the word magician unless you are a Zoroastrian priest from... Uh, Iran or something along those lines, because the word magi is in, you know came from came from that word. Let's forget the fact that um, for over a thousand years, the you know magic and magician have been part of the English language and have come in from different sources and are used in different ways in different cultures. And so, jokingly, I said, "Well, you know, you can't use the word person." unless you are a Roman theatrical mask, because that's where the word person comes from. And you can't use the word human unless you are dirt from the earth, because it comes from humus, which is dirt from the earth. And persona is the, was a word for a Roman theatrical mask. Um, how silly would it be if we tried to say you can't use this word unless you are using it in the context it came into the English language um, 1500 years ago or a thousand years ago how much of you would not be able to listen to this I wouldn't be able to do this podcast I can't uh I can't even think of, like, you know, in an average sentence, probably 80% of the words aren't, you know, English is originally a Germanic language, if you look back at Old English. There probably aren't a lot of 
Germanic words in there. Probably most of them are not. There's a lot of Romance language in there, a lot of French, a lot of Roman, because England, where English came from, was um, invaded so many times, right? There were um, Viking raids, and they set up settlements, and there were Roman raids, and they set up settlements, and then there were the indigenous people that lived there, and then there were the the Angles and the Saxons and all, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going off on a uh, long tangent to talk about these uh, these sort of gatekeeper problem, this, this gatekeeper issue. And that is, you know, people who set themselves up as the authority to say, you can't do that because of the the race I perceive you to be or the national origin I perceive you to be or the gender I see you to be. You know, we were um, recently somebody asked a question online about the Greek goddess Hecate, which who is still um, worshipped, I guess for lack of a better term, amongst uh, lots of um, pagans. Um, you know, she is amongst many things the goddess of uh, witchcraft and sorcery. So people who identify Lots of people identify as pagan, particularly Hellenistic pagans. She comes from um, she comes to us from Greece, but maybe maybe cultures before that. And there, here's another thing: like who knows where Hakate came from? And there aren't Greek people out there saying, "Listen, if you aren't a hundred percent Greek, you can't have an altar to Hakate." Um, so somebody said recently, uh, somebody, a man asked a question online and a woman said, Hakate would never reveal her secrets to a man. Really? So you are the gatekeeper of Hakate. Um, you know, I, I almost have no words for that. Um, there are, you know, <laughs> there are lots of people of all genders and, gen, you know, sex, sexes, genders, gender identities, sexualities, um, who do work with all sorts of gods. Um, and I can tell you that some of the leading experts on the you know, the worship of Hakate today are men. Some are women, but there are some who are men. And um, they seem to be very effective at what they do. I don't think, honestly, when it comes to spirit, we're all the same underneath. There, there, you know, there's no difference. When we're talking about spirit, when we're talking about the undying divine spark within all of us. There's no difference between a female spirit or a male spirit or a <clears throat> Native American spirit or a spirit from from somebody from Africa. We are all the same underneath. We are all connected. And so this is where I think the solution or my, you know, my proposals come in. First of all, let's stop separating people into little boxes. Yes, let us respect culture. Let us not be exploitive of people who have been exploited for so long. Let us support indigenous cultures. Let us support um, tribal rights all over the world. You know, tribal rights to land and to resources. We want to raise everybody up. We don't want to keep people separated. We have been doing that for thousands of years, and how has it worked for us? Let me tell you, it sucks. <laughs> we have wars. We have racism. We have sexism. We have violence. This is all a product of this separation. And when I see it from people who may have great intentions. You might have the best of intentions. Oh, I am going to speak up for this, um, for these people who have been 
persecuted. You may have the best intentions in the world, but the more you keep keep people separated, the 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 more separated we are. I mean, that's just it's just we just keep the status quo. We keep the patriarchy in place. Um when we encounter people who are spiritual seekers, whatever path they decide to tread upon, go down, explore, or follow as long as they live, as long as they're not harming anyone else, let them, support them, encourage them. Life is hard. Life is hard. And how dare we take things away from people that are helping them get through life. And I'm going to speak very honestly and and be a little bit vulnerable here and say to you that if it were not for shamanism, if it were not for my study of shamanism, I probably would not still be alive today. I was on my way out when I took up the practice of shamanism to heal myself. I had lost uh, 60 pounds. I could not eat. I could not sleep. Um, my adrenals were completely burned out. They tested my, um, tested my adrenals and said, you're, uh, you're one, one tiny level away from having permanent damage that cannot be repaired. Um, though people at the time might not have known it because I was fairly good at hiding it, other than you can't hide a loss of 60 pounds, I was very ill, very ill. And people want to say, no, you should have just died because um, your parents were not born, you know, you were not born inside an indigenous culture. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's not, that, that's not going to fly. That doesn't fly. Um, <clears throat> and the other thing is we don't say things like, um, well, you, you know, you are not a, uh, Middle Eastern or Greek person, so you can't be Christian or, um, you, uh, you know, I can't think, but all of these, you know, you know, we don't, we don't tell, um, you know, there are lots of Native American people who go to Christian churches. We don't tell them they can't do that. You can't do that. Why? Because that would be, that wouldn't be right. Now there are, there are, um, there are some racist churches out there. I realize that. Um, I don't think, we only have to look to some of these, um, I'll call them folkish, folkish churches that are, these churches are for white people only to see how problematic this separation can become when it is taken to its extreme. Right. So um, instead of calling people crazy, instead, here's where I, you know, I'm, I promise I'm getting to the solution part. I've, I've talked a little bit about it. Instead of calling people crazy, putting them down, putting them in little boxes, um, let us work to bring people together, to uplift them. Before you open your mouth, think about the effect of what, it, or type in social media, think about the effect that it's going to have for people. And think about getting some more information if you think you have the answer to something. If you're making really generic, generalized statements about things, it's time to learn some stuff. If you're saying things like, Westerners are crazy, that's a really generic statement. If you're saying things like, uh, you know, 
you can't do this because it doesn't belong to you. It's kind of a generic statement. Do some research and find out. And yeah, I mean, if there's actual injustice out there, that deserves to have attention pointed to it. If there's exploitation, if there's disrespect, I've called people out. I saw recently there were some people doing um, a hodgepodge ceremony, as I would call it, and I don't have a problem with anybody's particular ceremony. People can create ceremony, create ritual. I, you know, I, I certainly do. I have one. I have a ritual coming up that I that I've created, a public ritual. Um, but they were doing a quote unquote shamanic initiation. They were doing it on a young boy, um, and they had they were they were in Europe somewhere, and they were two um, European gentlemen in blue jeans and Apache war bonnets, and they were surrounded by um, Celtic symbols. And, you know, I was sort of like, well, you know, we probably should be avoiding the Apache war bonnets if we are not actually Apache. And, you know, that is, I I understand that that you may be wanting to, I don't know, I don't know what the point of them wearing those war bonnets were. Um, But it was, it was inappropriate, it was inappropriate. It came across as, um, you know, whether they intended respect or not, it was basically they were trying to present the image that they were doing something uh, that had legitimacy because it it was attached to some particular Native American tribe. And that's exploitive, and and that is also not a good thing. And that's why I make it very, very clear to people who mistakenly think that I'm doing some kind of uh, Native American ceremony because I use a hoop drum. And that's it. I don't dress in buckskin or use um, wear Native American regalia or uh, use, um, you know, use chants or, uh, you know, any of those things that I, I don't know them, first of all, but... Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not presenting that I'm representing a culture, which would be a really negative appropriation. So anyway, um, I realize this has been a little bit of a negative uh, podcast for <laughs> to start the new year. I promise we'll get more positive from here on out. Um, but look to be a solution and not a problem. Look to support people in their spiritual quests. If people are straying, um, and you know, when I saw these people, with Apache headdresses, I didn't call them names or whatever, but I called it out. And I said, you know, you, you know, this is a hodgepodge thing. You, you know, this is probably, this might be offensive to some people. You should really rethink wearing these. You know, I think you're presenting the wrong image here and there's no reason why you can't be doing an initiation without these things, um, without, without barring these, um, you know, the regalia from another culture. Um, you know, so anyway, uh, I will, I will wrap this up for this episode. Um, I hope that you have a happy and healthy new year. Do your part to keep the world healthy, to help get us past this pandemic and restore some normalcy to everyone's life. I love you all. I wish you a great new year. been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.